Welcome to the Tamarin Learning Podcast, where host Dr. Kirby Ross-Plock speaks with experts on many topics relevant in the ultra-high net worth family wealth management space. Kirby is author of several books, including The Complete Family Office Handbook, and shares her expertise consulting with families and family offices. Kirby is also the founder of Tamarind Learning, an online wealth education platform that develops practical, foundational learning programs for beneficiaries to help them prepare for responsible stewardship of wealth. Welcome to the Tamarind Learning Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirby Rossbach, author of the Complete Family Office Handbook, and I am excited to have with us today Charlotte Beyer. Charlotte is a dear friend, a luminary in the wealth management space, and after 20 years on Wall Street, and then 23 years as an entrepreneur, founding and pioneering the Institute for Private Investors, Charlotte Beyer realized that, you know what, investors were being undermined on some levels by the experts who taught them all the wrong lessons about their wealth. Her book, Wealth Management Unwrapped, is our focus today, and it's aimed to change that. So I'm excited to dig more into Wealth Management Unwrapped and specifically the CEO's guide today. Charlotte, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kirby. I'm really delighted to be here. And I intend to demystify, clear some of the fog away. And first, I'd like to share with your listeners two surprises. One, and this is important, you know more than you think you do. And secondly, you just got a promotion. The promotion is you are the newly promoted CEO of a company called My Wealth Incorporated. And that's the name of this guide that we're gonna be going through a few pages today. And you can't resign from being the CEO and You can only abdicate or be fired if you let some scoundrel swindle you and take all your wealth. But a great CEO knows a few things. They know how to hire. They know how to delegate. They don't have to know how to write the software or supervise the AI assembly line. What they really need, and many studies have supported this, is they need to have self-knowledge self-knowledge, and you know more than yourself, you know much more than any expert about yourself. So let's begin this journey of self-knowledge. That's certainly the truth. We all know a lot about ourselves, but then there's many things that we sometimes (laughs) maybe overlook. So I'm excited to dig into your guide today because this first page focuses on some interesting concepts around the purpose of wealth. Maybe you can walk us through this exercise and why it's so important to consider at the outset. Exactly. Imagine if you were taking a cross-country trip. You would never leave without your GPS or Waze or whatever software you're going to use to get you where you're going. And it's similar with being the CEO of My Wealth Incorporated. You want to know what's the purpose of your wealth. What is it supposed to do? And I picked four primary purposes, security, freedom, legacy, and power. They can be in any order for you. And in fact, they can change over time. For instance, it may be security early on and later power. For me, creating a company many years ago, I put all my wealth into that company because I had such a strong passion for it. 
So power, the ability to do what you wish, when you wish, without the financial constraints, was critical to me. On the other hand, as you get older, freedom to do what you want, your lifestyle, and that freedom may become important. And then later or earlier, you may have legacy as one of your primary motivations, primary purposes, because you want to have an impact well beyond your lifetime in some meaningful way. Well, I love this exercise because I think it also keeps people honest about their motivations and mm -hmm. it helps them reflect that, you know, maybe it's not any one quadrant. Maybe there's aspects of all of these quadrants, two or three of them. And I think it definitely creates the awareness to start the journey. I love your next exercise because you talk about pet peeves and you know what, pet peeves are the way, get in the way of so many good things. So tell us more about this exercise, why you think it's so important when working with an advisor uh, to know more about pet peeves as part of the working relationship. Absolutely true. And it's counterintuitive because why would you want to think through what most annoys you about the last meeting you had or sales presentations from investment people? Why would you ever want to do that? Well, I would suggest it's because when you identify what most annoys you, for instance, long meetings, inscrutable reports, jargon that you don't understand, if these are the things that annoy you, think of what is the opposite of that. And that begins to craft your expectations for anyone you work with. And don't forget the so-called stupid questions, they're the best. I have to share a quick story. An investment strategist, a guru, a luminary in his field, was humbled after his client said the following. He had just answered this wonderful question that was asked, and he gave a long, several-paragraph answer. And the client then turned to him and said, I asked you what time it is, and you told me how to make a watch. I love that. That's so <laughs> true. Um, and oftentimes what we think we're asking gets so misinterpreted or maybe um, too much information um, is shared and it can be overwhelming and sometimes not even that helpful, right? Exactly. So one of the next exercises that you provide is this five P's exercise. You ask about what are the five P's and how does exposing those um, help sort of flesh out maybe one's vulnerability when it comes to what they're thinking about with their planning. Maybe you can tell us more about vulnerability in this five P's exercise. This is a intriguing and often surprising exercise that I have given to many, many ultra high net worth investors over the decades. And what surprises people is they first answer very honestly how they would make a pie chart 100% total and how they'd allocate among those five P's, people, philosophy, process, performance, and then just to make sure it began with P, we called it fees with a PH. Well, the Reddit and Wall Street bets people would probably put most of it on performance, right? They were lured by that. The problem with putting 90% in the performance area is that you then end up at head spinning speed, hiring and firing money managers or buying and selling stocks so quickly. 
On the other hand, if you put 100% or more into people, you can be snowed. Not only can you be snowed, you can become a victim of ignoring something vital to your returns, like the philosophy or the process, or you could be paying too much. The bottom line here is balance is important. And while there's no right answer, if you have more than 25% in any one of these five Ps, that's a bit of a yellow light, maybe even a red light to you to be careful. This is where you're gonna be most vulnerable to being taken and being fooled. I think that's great wisdom um, because maybe that you think that's your emphasis, but you might be, I'm hearing you say overlook some of these other P's that could actually help you um, actually find a really honest, balanced, and fair um, advisor, especially if, you know, they might be compensated in different ways or you, know, you might be too focused on the return or the performance and not sort of understand the, the bigger implications. I think this is a really powerful exercise. Um, you know, I love this workbook too, the CEO's guide, because you've also given us a quick assessment. Um, I think this is a beautiful little um, assessment to help individuals look at their investment knowledge, sophistication, their understandings of control. Um, tell us more about what you think this helps an individual learn about themselves. It's a very simple exercise where you just circle the number that best reflects your answer. But it's not so simple to then plot yourself on the next page to see the quadrants. So you're learning a little math at the same time, which of course is always helpful. And here, when you end up plotting yourself, after answering the questions, you may be surprised to find out, gee, I'm way up here in, or way down here in the lower left quadrant. And what mm -hmm. that shows you, perhaps, is that you are gonna be extremely vulnerable to this slick sales presentation, the appealing brochure. And what really is most important here is looking at how much need for control do you have and what level of knowledge or sophistication do you have? For instance, let's say that you are a self-directed investor. You really love it. So you're capable, you're over, maybe you're a little overconfident. You're a do-it-yourselfer. You have a high need for control and you have a high level of knowledge and sophistication. Well, here's the problem. As the late great Peter Bernstein, who was a great writer on risk, said, the biggest risk you take is when you're certain of the outcome. Mm. So being up in that upper right-hand corner of the quadrants might make you feel proud and happy. On the other hand, it's probably a good idea to get that check and balance from an advisor or someone on the investment committee. Um, on the other hand, if you have a high level of sophistication, but a low need for control, it goes into what I call the people like us syndrome, which means that if they belong to the same clubs, if they look like me, they talk like me, they have the same political views, I'm going to think they're great and I'm gonna stop paying attention to what's happening in my portfolios. So this chart really just helps you see where you might begin to see areas where if you are a self-directed investor, you might want to temper it. 
And if you're someone who just totally delegates, no good CEO delegates without some form of control or report coming back. Well, I just think this is a really cool tool. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting to sort of see where you, you find yourself on the map and what, what might be revealed in that process. Um, and maybe over time you shift, right? Maybe you feel like you think you know a lot. Well, right now I have to tell you, I don't feel like I know a lot, Charlotte, with the way <laughs> our world and markets are operating. So um, I think it's interesting, not just maybe to do it once, but maybe over time. There is so many great aspects of this workbook. I know we don't have time to get through it all today, um, but I'm so excited that you're allowing us to share it with those that are listening in today. Um, you can get a snapshot as I'm scrolling through, but I'm going to actually cut to the end because you provide some amazing, great takeaways, 10 principles, in fact. And so I wanted to sort of focus um, for the time that we have left. Maybe you can share more about these 10 principles of principle, very clever, um, and what you most want to reinforce to those that are listening in today. Well, it may be um, somewhat of a surprise to you, Kirby, that these principles of principle are not original with me at all. These came from listening carefully over decades to nearly 3,000 ultra high net worth investors, whether they were members of IPI or students attending the private wealth management program at Wharton. And what I listened to is what was most successful for them. What did they see as contributing to their real success as managers of their wealth, as CEOs of My Wealth Incorporated? And what I found is that they learned how to partner just as a CEO needs to engage, the employees can't just be autocratic and get what they really need. So the 10 principles are from watching the most successful CEOs of My Wealth Incorporated. And I would underscore five, six, and seven as the ones that often I found investors forget. In other words, insist on communications that really work for you. You're the boss. So defining the ultimate outcome you seek, measuring it in ways that you can understand, not rows and rows and rows and rows of numbers on Excel, and insist on it being consistent. Think about this. What CEO would accept a report from a department, let's say it's the software or AI department, that was totally unintelligible to that CEO? She had no idea what it said. So this is the kind of thing that when you're the CEO following these 10 principles, you begin to see, okay, here's what I can ask for that works for me. And lastly, of course, uh, the 10th principle is many people who I listened to and watched who were handling their wealth, they found it freed them up. It didn't burden them learning enough about yourself and going through some of these exercises in the workbook frees you up. So whether you're an artist, a scientist, a poet, you actually find you have more time to do those passions rather than less. Well, this is so helpful and so insightful. 
personally, I know that one of my first jobs was as a securities trader through the tech bubble. And I'll tell you, Charlotte, it was a humbling experience that kind of brought me to my knees and made me realize that being on a trading desk was not my passion. It was something that I thought was exciting, but the adrenaline of the ups and the downs and clearly getting through the tech bubble um, made me realize that I was not the best to have my finger on the pulse of managing my own wealth. So I think it's incredibly insightful, the guide that you have, the book that you've shared with us today, Wealth Management Unwrapped here on the Tamron Learning Podcast. I'm so thankful to have you as a friend and to have you here sharing your wisdom. Um, it's, it's a great day. You've made the world that much better. So thank you so much, Charlotte Beyer, for being here. Um, thank you to all of our listeners who have listened in to the CEO's Guide and Wealth Management Unwrapped. And with that, I bring our podcast to a close. Thank you, Kirby.